Okay, let's, let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, thank you for this day that you've given us to worship you. Thank you that the, the day is a beautiful day and that there is, um, there's signs of the, the changing seasons. Thank you for the beauty of these changing seasons. But as we think about these changing seasons, we thank you that you are unchanging and that uh, there, there is no, there is no change in, in your affections toward us as those who are hid in Christ. Pray that that would be a motivation for our worship today, that we are not coming here to merit anything. We're not coming here to, uh, to just check a, a, a box on a list. Uh, we're, not doing, we're not here to present ourselves as, as holy while being empty within. But I pray that our desire to be here would be motivated by a, a love for Jesus. In, in response to the love that he has so freely poured out upon us, the love that you have for us, Father, uh, not being cold and unfeeling yourself, but expressing your love through Jesus. I pray that we would have fruitful discussion together today as we think about thankfulness, and we pray that your spirit would enable us to be a more thankful people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. <clears throat> All right, well, good morning. Good morning again. Um, so we are we are rapidly coming to a close on this uh, on this series on thankfulness, which was really beautifully timed with uh, with Thanksgiving. I don't know if that was exactly intentional, but <laughs> we can we can all be thankful for that. <clears throat> um, so as we come to a close, uh, we're we're coming to uh, a chapter today that is really geared towards discussion. So I would. I would much prefer that you all be very verbal. Just channel your inner Jacob and talk more than you really ought to, um, uh, because because I think that will make for a much more fruitful discussion. But to to kind of get the the the, the discussion flowing, we do have some questions that we want to think about together. So there are there's a bit of an agenda that I want us to to work through. Um, but to start with, I thought it would be good to go back to the very beginning and just do an overview of what we've learned. Um, and I'm not going to do the overview. I'm going to let you all tell us what we did. Just kidding. Okay. <clears throat> so chapter one, better get this one right. I taught on chapter one. So what, was, what, what did we think about with chapter one? We talked about the rightness of gratitude, the rightness of gratitude. So if you're defending gratitude to someone, what would, you, what would you say? This is just everyone, say what comes to mind. The rightness of gratitude. God is good. God is good, okay. What else? We are not. We are not. Tie that in with the rightness of gratitude. Therefore, we should be grateful. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and fast forwarding to the chapter on thankfulness and wonder, one thing that the author says in that chapter is that thankfulness uh, has a lot to do with contrasts. 
And so, uh, so the fact that we are not good and God is good to us is a contrast that drives thankfulness. And without that contrast, we would be tempted to be like, well, yeah, it's good that God's good to me because I'm a good person. <laughs> That's a terrible thing to say. <clears throat> okay, what else? The rightness of gratitude. Yeah. Yeah. No, go for it. Yeah. Yeah, and that's a really good one. And I, I, I think I think different times. Um, I'm I'm sometimes overly overly prone to like look for the practical reasons why a doctrine is true. Like, oh, we we really see that that's important here, and we really see. How that's important there, but sometimes, sometimes it's good to start with it. Just is uh, honor honor your parents for it is right. Um, there are lots of practical reasons why it's a good thing. One is to avoid spanks, um, but but you know it's it's at the end of the day it is it's good. <laughs> it is right. Um, so that, that's really good. All right. So we talked about the the rightness of gratitude, uh, Thomas. Everyone get this one right? <clears throat> Thomas talked to us about the wisdom of gratitude. And this is admittedly, and we, we talked about this together, there's admittedly like a ton of crossover between the wisdom and the rightness of gratitude. But if you can, what would be some of the ways that we've talked about with the wisdom of gratitude? Yeah, well, let's think about it together a little bit. How would we, how would we maybe dif- distinguish between if wisdom and happy, like if you're thinking about like the practical because like I feel like the rightness is like it is good mm-hmm. and then like the wisdom is like it's also good for you. Mm-hmm. I mean, being thankful means it's one of the highest indicators of like a happy life. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a great. I think a good distinction would be exactly that, just to kind of distill what Lucy said. The rightness is really rooted in God's character, and the the wisdom is rooted in how he's kind in his character to let us have, let us be happy (laughs) in our thankfulness. Um, So uh, a quote from that chapter, because gratitude is so perfectly right, so completely appropriate in the God-supplied, God-blessed reality in which we find ourselves, Thankfulness is the loftiest form of mental activity our minds can engage in. It's a really good way of thinking about it. What do we occupy our mental time with? When you're in the car alone, I occupy my time with anxious thoughts about everything that needs to be done. Wouldn't it be wiser for me to occupy my thoughts with gratitude for all that God has done and not anxiety about what I'm needing to do. Um, so it's, it's the, the highest, the loftiest form of mental activity our minds can engage in. Any thoughts on that pushback? To most commonly thought, mm-hmm. that, that therein lies the wisdom of thankfulness in that it will allow us to live the rest of our life more in gratitude. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and, and I think, maybe this is just my life, but I think Philippians might back this up. A contrast to thankfulness is fear and anxiety. Uh, And if you think about a life marked by anxiety, um, wisdom doesn't jump off the page of of someone whose life is marked by fear and anxiety. Typically, 
poor decisions are made because you're, ma you're making them out of a, to borrow a common modern phrase, out of a poor mental space. Jeff. Which is a beautiful segue into chapter three that John taught on. That's why I said it. <laughs> <laughs> so the quote, that I, the quote that I wanted to highlight from that chapter is, thankfulness is the outlook of a certain kind of heart. Thankfulness is the outlook of a certain kind of heart. Um, and uh, I, I believe he references Colossians 3, uh, verses 16 through 17. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So it is, it is a way of life. It's an outlook, not natural to us, but because the word of Christ dwells in us richly. So there is, it is, it is a, uh, a, a, an outlook of a certain kind of heart. Um, any thoughts on that? No. Maybe it like shows, comes out of your heart, but it also is kind of tormenting your heart as well. Like you think, oh, he doesn't have that. Mm -hmm. And if you were more thankful, you'd be thinking, oh, here are all the ways he has been washing me, doesn't wash me. Right. And I think, and I'm saying this to myself uh, as much as anyone, I think that's a fantastic practical way that we can rein our hearts and minds in today as we worship. I don't know about you, but I really struggle to keep focused on worship. I'm thinking about things I need to do today, coffee hour, um, whatever duties, what other other duties I have, locking up, whatever. Uh, or I'm thinking about things that are coming up in the week, or I'm thinking about even more trivial, stupid things. Um, and yet, if, if, we, if we root ourselves in, no, I, I'm, I'm in the presence of not just the president, but the king of the universe. Um, how should I be ordering my thoughts that he knows intimately? Um, and and uh, again, that passage in Colossians is great. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing, et cetera, et cetera. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That, that's what we're doing today. Um, and we should do so with thankfulness. All right, marching forward, the fruitfulness of gratitude. Pastor David taught on this. Practicing thankfulness is productive. This also dovetails beautifully with what some folks have been saying just now. There's, there's, there's activity to it. It's not just an outlook of the heart. It's an outlook of the heart that, that flows out in activity. Practicing thankfulness is productive. The practice of thankfulness fosters outcomes and brings to pass things that otherwise wouldn't happen. Uh, and and he, he draws out several things from this. It leads to repentance, which I thought that was really interesting, but it leads to repentance. Um, maybe think about that a moment. How does it lead to repentance? Okay. Scrap all of that and redo it. Yep. And, and repent of not giving our all for him. And as we have that Godward orientation, it leads to repentance, produces happiness and joy, and encourages others in our thankfulness to them, uh, or to God for them, and, and leads to, to wonder, and on and on and on and on. 
But again, it, it goes to, it's a Godward orientation that overflows into these things. And so thankfulness, wrongly motivated, is I want to be a happier person, so I'm going to be a thankful person. It's, a, it's like a quid pro quo, I put this in, I should get this out. That would be, that would be maybe a lot like what Thanksgiving is going to be on a worldly perspective. Um, which, just, just a quick side note on that, I don't want to totally derail myself, but, uh, you know, Thanksgiving is a really wonderful um, evangelistic tool. And I'm convicted in saying that because I've never used it that way. Uh, <laughs> but it's a really fantastic evangelistic tool because think about it. People are being thankful towards something. And one thing that's stressed in this book is that thankfulness has an object. We, we are thankful to someone. We're not just thankful. And we have a world that is going to be thankful to what? Chesterton has some quote about the atheist being the saddest person when they're thankful because they've got no one to be thankful to. Um, but I was thinking about this. Like, if you can't just cover it, mm-hmm. then, like, that's what they should do. Because if not, then it can just hurt the church. Right. what happens a lot. Right. And Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 12 through 13, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and, o- and are, excuse me, who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and esteem them very highly in love because of their work. It's not we esteem them very highly because they're perfect. You esteem them highly because of your love, uh, because of their, uh, uh, in, sorry, you esteem them highly in love because of their work, which is for your good. All right, sorry, we are way over time, so I'm going to close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for the truths of your word. Thank you for the wisdom that permeates uh, your truth, that truth is not divorced from human experience. It's not divorced from, uh, from wisdom and what is best, uh, but it, it is the fountain of those, of those things. And I pray that we would give you thanks for your wisdom and your truth as we worship you now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Yeah, that's... Sins flowing from that. And we're in a very dangerous spot if we're, ingrat- if we're ungrateful. We talked about thankfulness in action, Jeff, I believe, uh, taught on thankfulness in action, that it's active, uh, and it talks about how it enhances your joy, serves other, and costs you something. Greg also brought this out in the introductory class, that, that, uh, that thankfulness should cost us something, uh, and we don't necessarily think about that too much, but um, the, the greater the gift, the more we should seek to go out of our way to, to offer thanks. Um, <clears throat> thankfulness and contentment. John uh, taught about thankfulness and contentment and how the more we're thankful, the, wor- the more we should be content in the station that God has put us. And then the next week I taught on thankfulness and wonder how we can move from 
Thankfulness helps to move us from maybe a, a bare kind of raw contentment to wonder at, wow, <laughs> this thing that I was just chalking up to, I'm, I'm going to be content. Really, lead, the more we think about thankfulness, the more we're, we see the wonder of what God has given us, the more we'll be amazed at the world around us. Uh, thankfulness and suffering. Uh, and that's a, we can't avoid thinking about thankfulness in suffering. Because in some ways, every time we talk about, every time we talk about thankfulness for good things, lurking underneath is, yeah, but what about this? Um, because suffering is the, we live in a world that has lots of suffering. Our own savior was the man of sorrows. Uh, he couldn't escape suffering. So, uh, so we thought about Thankfulness is not just sugar and spice and everything nice. Uh, suffering is always productive for those who love God. And so because of that, we can be, we can be thankful. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. Um, and then finally, uh, last week, talked about hindrances to thankfulness. And uh, I'm not going to embarrass people by asking them to repeat exactly his point since it was just last week. But, um, uh, but the hindrances to thankfulness are really... I mean, you could boil it down to sin. It's just sin. So, right. This is short class. Um, <clears throat> okay, so today we're going to uh, we're going to look at some more questions. And so, so he asks, "What about pet peeves? How do you be thankful for pet peeves? What do you do with pet peeves?" And in a lot of ways, who is who is at the good and angry class? So this whole chapter to me was sort of like, a, like he might as well said, hey, go read Good and Angry and then come back. <clears throat> so what do we do with pet peeves? You mean like, like I have a pet Ow. peeve about something? Right. And I'm not thankful because that pet peeve isn't, isn't getting met. Is that what you're saying? Or just how do we match up thankfulness with pet peeves? How do we, how do we think about it? We're, su- we're supposed to be thankful. Are they, are they sin or are they? Ah, okay. Okay, flesh that out. Well, if it's sin, we've already dealt with that. And the okay. chapter is kind of supposed to be able to walk out the door. <laughs> if it's godly, then we need to think, okay, is it that it bothers you? Is it your own? Mm. Are you a pet peeve in yourself? Because that's probably good. But if you're having a pet peeve because somebody else isn't meeting some sort of something that you have determined to be necessary. Right. For thankfulness, then that's probably back to the comment. Yeah. Yeah, so, so um, oftentimes pet peeves, and, and our author draws this out, oftentimes pet peeves are rooted in, in just wrong expectations about the world we live in. Uh, and, you know, traffic is going to be slow. Uh, that's why you shouldn't leave at the, the best estimate of what Google gives you. You should leave before, talking to myself. Um, <clears throat> people make mouth noises. Get over it. I, it's hard. I'm, I, I think I might be in that category of people who are like clinically diagnosed with, uh, with a, a sensitivity to that. But, you know, okay, so how do, but think about it. Think about your pet peeve. How do you be thankful as you're peeved? You can be thankful you can hear. Yes. <laughs> yes. No joke. You can be thankful for food. That's a good one, too. That's a good one, too. There's lots to be thankful for. Think about, um, uh, think about untidy 
dishes, like a sink that's got dishes all around and they're untidy. Think about the prop. Yeah, you could just wash them. But also think about the proverb about, and I'm going to misquote it, hopefully not misquote it, but I'm not going to get the exact wording. But basically, a tidy stall means no cows is the essence of the, the proverb, right? No dishes around the sink means no meals were eaten, which means you're either dead or starving. Um, or no fellowship, exactly. Yeah, honestly, having a child really stresses me out because they're such mess buckets. And, but you know, I'm going to have to get over that because better to have a child than have a tidy house. <laughs> Thank you. Um, <laughs> so, so pet peeves, again, we can think about good and angry. If you can do something about it, do something about it. Necessity is the mother of invention. Pet peeves are also the mother of invention. So God gives us creativity to solve problems. You keep on, you know, it drives you crazy. Imagine Thomas, you know, he talked about how much he loves his drill when he was building the fence. If his pet peeve was manually, you know, screwing in each board, I'll bet you with the amount of time he's thought about with a drill, he would invent a drill. And that's because God has given us creativity. So if you have a pet peeve and you can solve it, do it. Okay, he asks several other questions, um, and we're not going to think about all of them. So let's get one out of the way. Thank you notes for thank you notes. Should we do them? You guys need to think about that. I don't know why he put that in the book. Um, <sighs> Right, right, right. Okay, this is this is why. Yeah. I think like the one is kind of where it stops. Like if we're thinking of the thing of like you shouldn't do any more than that, it's ending. Yeah, maybe you. The, the next thank you note is I thank you for not writing me another note. I'm done. Um, uh, so this one, there is actually something productive here. What about the ugly sweater I got for Christmas? Well. The one thing I think that's worthwhile thinking about there is thankfulness shouldn't involve lying. You don't have to say, thank you, I love this sweater. Now, there's a theological reason, because you shouldn't lie. There's a practical reason. Why haven't you worn that sweater that you said you love? So be careful in how, uh, I think Pastor David has a great story on something similar to this, so you should ask him. Um, but don't lie about the gift that you've been given, and yet you can still show thankfulness. They thought of you. They took time and money to buy you that gift. Um, and that's, uh, and you, but you don't, neither do you have to say, wow, that is an ugly sweater. What, like, what made you think to do that? Um, not everything you have in your mind needs to come out. Um, I feel like we're getting way off topic with thankfulness, but that's an important one. Moving on. <clears throat> I feel like we need to talk about petty arguments. Um, so, 
so, uh, so there are several other questions that we're not going to talk about. Um, we're running a little bit out of time. However, I really want to talk about three questions in particular. So if you'll bear with me, I, there are three things I really want to focus on. But just to breeze through a few others, he asks about poor quality or service from a vendor or landlord. Similar issue as the pet peeve. And a similar issue that we have with anything. Can you cover it or do you need to address it? But there's, there's still opportunity to be thankful in, those, in all those scenarios. Did, the fact that you have money to even consider purchasing that service or product is a, an opportunity to be thankful. Um, one that we, uh, another question that he asked, should we teach children to at, say thank you even when they're not truly thankful? Um, you should think about that a little bit because it is more than just with children. But at the end of the day, he says yes. Yes, because our obedience, our outward obedience, outward obedience frequently is used to draw our emotions along. Uh, one, one phrase I heard was, let, let, your, let your obedience drag your feelings. So yes, you, you should not just teach your children, but yourself. Express outward signs of gratitude, not as a hypocrite, but trusting that God's going to use your obedience to drag the rest of you along with uh, for the ride. Um, one that we could take more time with, but I think it fits somewhat into these other categories like with good and angry. What about irritating flaws in my spouse? Um, the, the most striking thing is that, that he talks about there is Jesus has a spouse. You're his spouse. You have lots of irritating flaws, to put it mildly. If Jesus can love his, his bride, and if Jesus can love in particular people that, are, that make up his bride, then you too can, can love and be thankful for those, those uh, irritating things in your spouse. Again, we are the joy set before Jesus, which should be massively humbling as we think about dealing with other people's flaws. How could we be that joy? Okay, but there are three questions that I want for us to, to really dive into a little bit. What, what about someone close to me that suffered tragedy? What about someone close to me that suffered tragedy? So we are to be thankful for and in everything. But that does not necessarily mean that if you have a friend who has suffered tragedy, you immediately go to them and say, see, this is great. You should be so thankful for this right now. Um, so Proverbs 27, 14 is instructive here. Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as a cursing. All the, morning, uh, all the uh, non-morning people said, amen. Um, but there's a lot to be learned here. So is blessing your neighbor good? Would there be times that blessing your neighbor with a loud voice is good? Is early in the morning the right time to do that? Probably not. Um, so <clears throat> is there opportunity for thankfulness amidst tragedy? Yes. And we have to maintain that for the good of those that we love suffering. We need to, we, the best way that we can help them is by internally remembering and trusting God, knowing that there is blessing and things to be thankful for in, even in their suffering. Um, however, uh, it's not necessarily your job at that moment to be the Holy Spirit in their life to let, help them see the opportunities for thankfulness. There may come a time when you need to open up your mouth and say something. 
Um, they may be so drowned in depression and morosity that you need to come alongside them and say, lift up your head. Look at, look at the things to be grateful for. But one of the best things, this has been said before, but one of the best things that Job's friends did, and, and really we, we talk about how bad they were, and they, they, they said bad things. God condemns them, so we're not wrong to say, uh, by, by condemns, he condemns their arguments at least. We're not wrong to say, yeah, they gave really terrible advice. However, they gathered together. They made an appointment with one another. The text specifically says they came from different places. And they came because Job was suffering to show him sympathy and comfort him. And they raised their voices and wept. They tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads towards heaven. And they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights. And no one spoke a word to him for they saw that his suffering was very great. That's wise. That's, that's really loving to just sit with someone. They took, they took action. They, it cost them to come and leave all of, their, all of their normal responsibilities. And it was very intentional that they would sit with him in silence. There's so much that we can learn there. Just being silent with someone in distress is a great comfort to them. And the Lord may give opportunity to speak, but just sitting with them is so important. Um, Proverbs 15.23 says, To make an apt answer is a joy to a man, and a word in season, how good it is. A word in season, though. That's really key. Not all words, <laughs> this is a struggle for people like me, but not all words need to be said at a given moment. It's a word in season. And so as we have loved ones who are, who are suffering, just, just sit with them. Just show them, show them through your example that, that you're thankful for them. Maybe they feel so low that they feel of no use to anybody. You can model thankfulness by reminding them how thankful you are for them. Uh, you can model thankfulness by, by being there, being active to show them how much you love them and are thankful for them. Uh, Ecclesiastes tells us that for everything there is a season, a time for every, sorry, this is, uh, yeah, for every season, uh, uh, every matter under heaven. Notably in that list, uh, we have a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to keep silence and a time to speak. So I'm not saying you should never speak. You should never encourage someone to be thankful. But just because there's opportunity to give thanks in every situation doesn't mean you need to rush to that right away. Any thoughts or questions on that? And, and really, that's an opportunity to give thanks for our suffering. Because when we're two, three, four, five, 10 years away from that suffering and we get to minister to one of God's people in that way, what a privilege. What an, an, an enormous privilege to be able to sit with them and in some small way sympathize with what they're going through. Um, we, could, we could really spend the whole class thinking about that and thinking about how Jesus is our, Jesus is the high priest who sympathizes with us in our weakness. Um, there's, there's just so much in that. But that does tie in with the whole question of thankfulness and suffering.
Um, <clears throat> what about problems in my church? This is, this is a really important one as well, because uh, our culture seems to be driven towards, uh, our church culture as a, as a whole seems to be driven towards shopping. You go to a church, something doesn't go well, and you move on. Even within reform circles, um, most of my life has been spent within at least roughly reform circles, and there's so much like up and gone. Someone said something that I don't agree with later, you know, because that's the issue that all of the gospel hinges on. There are those issues, but I think a lot of times we're ready to run way before we get to those issues. Um, all right, so I'm, I'm, I'm jumping ahead too much, sorry. So how do we be thankful? Well, he says, thank God for the problems. Let them cause you to lean on him. Pray. It's not your church. Pray to the one whose church it is. So uh, that's a really big one. Remember whose church it is. It's not yours. These are Jesus people, not, not your people. Um, and so how do you thank God for the problems? Well, we, in some ways, that's a perplexing question. But I think one big one is let them cause you to lean on him. As we see problems in the church, it forces us to lean on Jesus more. Now, God has given, given us the church as a blessing to us. He's given us the government of the church to, to guide us. And yet, we're never supposed to lean on the government of the church. We're supposed to lean on, ultimately, on Jesus. And so, when something is wrong within the church, it reminds us, well, ultimately our hope isn't in this institution, it's in her Lord. So we can thank God for that. Pray for wisdom. James 1, we're promised that God will give us wisdom if we, pray, if we ask for it. Pray for wisdom to know how to address the problem. Uh, we also go back to the, the, that analysis. Is this, a, is this a peeve of mine or is this a biblical issue? You will encounter those. But also, he, he exhorts us to, to examine our own heart in light of Romans 2, verses 1 through 8, and carefully, prayerfully read through that passage. I'm just going to read one bit. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. I'm not saying that you're never going to find problems in the church. However, before you rush to assuming that it's a problem, you need to examine your own heart. Is this, am I dealing hypocritically? Am I upset that they're unloving when in fact I'm not loving? Am I upset that they didn't invite me over when I never invited anyone over? Uh, you know, we have to examine our own hearts to see if we're being hypocritical. Another way though that we can be, oh sorry, 1 Corinthians 13 is tailor fit to this. I know it's always said at weddings, but this is, this is the moment where 1 Corinthians 13 really hits the road is are we, are we going to love one another the way the Bible tells us, even when we see problems? So we need to be patient and kind. We need to not envy and boast, not be arrogant or rude, not insist on our own way, um, not be irritable or resentful, not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoice with the truth. There are some people that seem to have like a, I think blogs often have this, like a, like a, like an eerie kind of disgusting joy in problems in the church. And, and it's like, ooh, a new scab to rip open. Like, 
No, do not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoice with the truth. Bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, endure all things. So we know that the church will have adversaries. Um, Acts, Paul tells the Ephesian elders, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will uh, come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things. So problems will, real problems will arise within the church. But how do we be thankful in those scenarios? John Piper, in talking about Athanasius versus Arius, uh, says that Athanasius' contramundum against the world should inspire every pastor to stand your ground meekly and humbly and courageously whenever a biblical truth is at stake. But be sure that you always outrejoice your adversaries. If something is worth fighting for, it's worth rejoicing over. What an amazing, what an amazing statement on controversies in the church. And really, think about how controversies set in in full relief the beauty of the doctrine we're fighting for. So Athanasius versus Arius. If Arius is right, God is, Jesus isn't truly God. And if Jesus isn't truly God, then we can't be truly saved. What, what, a beautiful, what a beautiful opportunity to thank God for the truth in contrast to the lie. Um, this could be said of any number of classic church heresies. The truth that we're fighting for is an opportunity to be thankful. Uh, and, and those controversies can help us see those. Um, maybe, you're, maybe the problem in the church is that you're seeing a church that's weak in some area. Uh, and again, tons more could be said here. But if you see a weakness in the church that is your strength, then you are one person closer, that church is one person closer to not being weak in that area. So if you see a church that's not hospitable and God's put you in that church and you're hospitable, praise God that you are there to help them fix that problem. You can be thankful that God's opened your eyes and given you that gift. And rather than carping about how they're just terrible, well, you can encourage them to how they can be hospitable. You know, Paul talks about, let not the, the, the eye say to the hand, I have no need of you. But I think sometimes we're the hand saying to the eye, I really wish you were more of a hand. You know, it's, it's great that you're an I and all that, but I really wish you were more like me. Um, God has put you in the church for a reason, for your strengths. Not everyone has to have your strengths. So you should use them in, in the church. Um, what about frustrating weaknesses in the pastor? Uh, <laughs> yeah, so as Presbyterians, I really think we should extend this to all church officers. Um, so what about frustrating weaknesses in the pastor? Well, there are two things that we know very clearly from Scripture. God has instituted the offices of his church. This is not a man-made concept to have leaders in the church, despite what quite a few would try to tell you. I went on a rabbit trail yesterday that was like, um, But anyhow, uh, God instituted the offices in the church and expects that they have them. We can look at deacons being instituted in Acts 6. We can look very clearly at uh, Paul's exhortation to Titus. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might, be, uh, might put what remained in or into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. There's no question. Officers are meant to be in Christ's church. However, the other thing that we know to be true is that those men are going to be imperfect. Yes, there are qualifications, 
but those men are going to be imperfect. So we know two things. God want, we know we can distill this into one thing. God wants imperfect men to be officers in his church. So if they have frustrating weaknesses, should we be surprised? No, we should not. Um, so give thanks to God for his wisdom in setting these men in his church. Give thanks for his wisdom in, in uh, putting someone whose whole job is to care for your soul. Uh, and if the, another area you could give thanks for is God's called particular men to be pastors. And maybe you should be thankful that he didn't call you to be public, publicly exposed to a whole congregation so that all of your weaknesses are like aired before the world. I mean, that's a, the, like, wow, that was embarrassing. I'm so thankful that I don't have to be standing up there like that. Um, that's a cause for thanks sometimes. So the other thing, though, is that, again, you analyze, is this, is this actually a frustrating weakness or is this just a pet peeve of mine? If it's actually a weakness, then you, can, you should, again, going back to the whole idea of analyzing what, what, what do I do here, what, you're praying for wisdom. If it's something that should be addressed, prayerfully address it. Go to him. Encourage him. Uh, Matthew, I can't remember the exact, is it 12? Matthew 18 still applies to your, your church officers. If you have a grievance, go to him. If he doesn't listen, bring someone with you. If he still doesn't listen, bring him before his own session. As, as, as officers in Christ's church, we are not immune to needing the brothers to be in our lives. Yes? Yeah, that's 